Episode of the Outback Cast. I am, of course, Steve Cuff, and joining me today, the man, the myth, the legend, the person they call the Conor McGregor of Optimism Vaccine, Adam Myros. Oh, I, I didn't think that was being thrown to me. Uh, what does that mean? I, I, I mean, I was going to ask you why? Why? Why do you think people are calling you the Conor McGregor of Optimism Vaccine? Well, I do have a uh, non-traditional form in the ring, I mentioned. So. That's part. I was going to go with the, uh, you know, the, the soft racism and uh, the braggadocious personality. But it's a wrestling thing. You, <laughs> and also uh, joining us, uh, a man who hasn't been on the Internet in the past week, Sean Glennis. Hey, you know, I'm just kind of, you know, checking out, unplugging, um, doing a little bit of thinking. A little, little me time? Uh, lots of me time. Yeah, that makes sense for a sensitive turd boy like yourself. A lot of people are calling you the Ed well, Sheeran I, of Optimism Vaccine. How would you respond to those I, people? Well, I, I would say that I'm doing a lot of me time, but it's all in my man cave. Mm, your man cave. Is it just is yeah. it just gym socks and ball sweat and uh, <laughs> and a big sign hanging on the wall that says Saturdays for the boys? Yeah, and a Sega Dreamcast. Yeah. It's my favorite expression, man cave. I just can't get enough of it. Actually, I got a great man cave story for you guys. Uh, so there's this guy who I went to high school with who I, I I didn't really reconnect with, but I saw him at like a wedding yeah, a few like years House ago. Hunters or something? Uh, no, he wasn't on House Hunters, unfortunately. But anyway, so we follow each other on social media, and I'm I'm like perversely in love with his Instagram because it's the broiest bro shit of all time. And he's done two mm. of my favorite things ever in, in the past like three days. So one of them was he posted a picture of him like watching the McGregor fight like by himself in his basement uh, on his TV. And there's just there's literally this giant banner above his TV that says Saturday is for the boys. <laughs> <laughs> So that, that was, that's a real thing. And the other awesome thing that he did is, uh, here's more sports talk. We're a sports podcast now. Um, the Detroit Lions recently made their quarterback, Matthew Stafford, the highest paid quarterback in the NFL. And I think of all time or something like that. I don't know. They gave him a lot of money. And in celebration of this, he had two Instagram posts, one celebrating the fact that Matthew Stafford got this, and then a follow-up post that just had a picture of a Matthew Stafford jersey, which probably cost like $100. And he was just like, had to show my boy some love, went out and bought his jersey. It's like, you motherfucker, he's getting paid like 80 million fucking dollars. I don't think you need to show him any love by buying his Hmm. jersey. So yeah, he's a great guy. Shout out to him. As they say, Saturdays. For the boys. They're for the boys. They're for the boys. I, I've often said that. You know, I always, I always think about my boys and, and where we're going to be on Saturday. Oh, you know, they really Saturday. To... Go ahead. Yeah, I, you know, I'm just saying the word den. It's it's underrated. Let's let's just use that. Man den. <laughs> <laughs> what about my fragile masculinity bubble? Can uh, I have one of those? What was that, Sean? <laughs> 
<laughs> I was just going to say every Saturday, uh, Steve, you should post like something and, uh, on social media and it should be like hashtag Saturday, National Saturdays for the Boys Day. <laughs> every Saturday? Yeah. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just post a picture of me sitting alone on my couch with my cat. It's for the boys. <laughs> How old is That's this guy? Oh, he's my cat. age. Oh, he's not that old. I have I've told you guys about that. I don't know if I've told the <laughs> listeners about this guy. So I, I know him because I went to high school with him. And he came up to me at a wedding I was at a few years ago. And he said, hey, Steve, you remember me? I said, no, <laughs> I don't. I don't know who you are. He said, we went to high school together. And I said, I still don't know. And he goes, it's me, Sean. And I'm like, and then he told me his last name. And I was like, uh, I still don't know who you are, actually. <laughs> and then, and this, and this was the part that like triggered the memories of, of how I knew who he was. He's like, yeah, used to sit in the back of English class. And when I would say something dumb, you'd just sell, you'd just yell, you're a shithead. <laughs> And that's uh, a real Yeah, so so he was like he's like, Yeah, you know, and I kinda was a shithead then, but now, you know, I'm I got my life together and blah blah blah. And I'm like, I, you know, I'm I'm really siding with fifteen year old Steve on this one. I think he might still be a shithead. So it was a real it sounds like a real needle nose Ned situation. Mm. Yeah, it head. was um you know. <laughs> it was like uh, a long lost sequel to She's All That. It was kind of the he's all that moment for him, but I, I don't know if it really worked out that well. Yeah. What do you like take off his glasses or something? Yeah, and then I <laughs> kissed him passionately, that. and Freddie Prince Jr. was there. It was great. It was, it was a good time. For I like everybody. how I like how he did the the uh, like patented Domino's rebranding thing there, like sort of <laughs> admitting he used to be a terrible, shitty person, but yeah. now he's better. And much like Domino's, all they did was change the crust, and it's still kind of bad. Uh, yeah, I, I'm just I like the idea that he was uh, just. Still dwelling on the fact that you yelled that from the back of class in high school. <laughs> yeah, that I that I yelled, "You're a He's shithead." Like, that didn't scar me at all. <laughs> also, <laughs> I really hope I really hope most people forget about such things. Otherwise, I've <laughs> I've done a lot of damage in my day. I know, well, especially because I kind of pride myself on my creative insults, and that's like a real D minus <laughs> effort from me. If the most memorable thing I yelled at this kid was, "You're a shithead." Well, also, it's high school. How are you getting away with yelling, "You're a shithead" without a teacher? Um, when you had a class. <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing, so at one point I had, uh, well, there's, there's two possible scenarios. At one point I had an English teacher who would literally like pop out of class every 10 to 15 minutes to go smoke a cigarette in her car. I'm not exaggerating at all. Uh, so I, think could, I, had this, I think I had the male version of this exact teacher. <laughs> so it is entirely possible that it was that class. Or um, <laughs> another one of my teacher's got suspended for the last month of school because this was when beheading videos were just starting to be like a thing <laughs> and uh he was, was he post was 9-11 yeah this was actually po- this is post 9-11 this is you know right after the towers fell and people were starting to to put these beheading videos on the internet and this is even before youtube i think yeah it must have been this was like 2003 or something 2004 maybe and somebody in my English class was like, no, that's not real. And he's like, yeah, it is. Check this out. And then he just showed a beheading video in class, which I was like, you know, Holy okay, God. whatever. <laughs> uh, but 
School's got to get around to blocking Rotten.com. Yeah, that, no, that's that's exactly where it had to be from a Rotten.com or like something awful. And he was just like, yeah, I'm going to show a bunch of 16-year-old kids some guy getting his head chopped off in like low-res video form. So that was the thing that I watched. Uh, I had a great uh, childhood. Had, is this is this guy a subscriber? Mm. I hope he is. He's a great teacher. I mean, up until that point, you know. Uh, no, he's a teacher. <laughs> Oh, are you talking? Are you talking about the the guy who who I call the Saturdays shithead? Saturdays are for boys. Or Sat- no, Saturday is yeah. Saturdays for the boys. I don't think he knows what a podcast is. If he did, I don't think he would listen to this one. Uh, podcasts <laughs> it, they tend to be kind That's of like true. a really personal uh, experience. And if, if your days are for the boys, then t- you just you can't listen to podcasts that often. Well, I don't know. In my man cave, it's yeah. always blurring podcasts. Yeah, is that is that was you just got the Joe Rogan experience going the whole time while what you. If- Jerk well, it. It's pretty. It's pretty manly. Yeah. What if um, we're looking at this wrong? Like we're framing this wrong. And he, he spends six days of the week dedicated to like the feminist canon. And then he's like, <laughs> Sa- Saturday. Saturday, Saturday you know is what? a Sabbath. Just, <laughs> yeah. He's like, you know, I go back to sort of like just stuff made by men and hanging out with men and talking about men. <laughs> just, just being there for the boys. That's, that's it. I'm not sure why you go with such an infantilized term once you're past the age of thirty. I mean, it just sounds like you're. <laughs> Sounds like you're popping on sallow for your, your Saturday night viewing. <laughs> oh, that would that would be way better. That would be, his banner says Saturdays for the boys, and it just has a picture of a bunch of kids eating shit off of plates. <laughs> Can I, I I might get that screen printed. Optimismvaccine.com. Look for our new T-shirts store featuring Saturdays for the boys. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's got Jesus. he's got football memorabilia up, but it's all uh, Jerry Sandusky. Really, that's that's all it is. That's oh, that's it. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. Oh, so <laughs> not to change things too abruptly from uh, you know talking about the boys and uh, how we spend Saturdays and sports. We've been we've been doing a lot of sports talk. Uh, you got you guys have all you you've both watched both the first and second Charlie Sheen 9/11 trailer have you not speaking of That's the true. post 9/11 world that we're living in and mm-hmm. let us not forget that the the 16th anniversary is coming up which we know the is, second, is, is or, very special what, what is that the <laughs> 9/11's um quincenera it's quinceanera oh, was 50. last year that's 15 sweet, I, why I haven't you ever been to 16. a quinceanera before <laughs> jesus don't, don't tell me you've 16. never had the trace leches cake because it's fucking delicious. <laughs> God, Sean, so uncultured. Uh it is. It's it's amazing. 16. Out of all my favorite, out of all my all, out of that, let me let me try and talk again. Out of all the movies where Louise Guzman is trapped in an elevator, do you think this might be the best one? Well. I mean, you you heard what he said about uh, elevators. He said they're like coffins, but you're right next to other people, but it's in the same <laughs> coffin, and you're standing up. I, yeah, that's actually a, my favorite line of the trailer. It's kind of like a tra- it's kind of like a coffin, except it's actually different in every way. You know, it's it's made <laughs> out of metal instead of wood. It's a moving thing. It's got gears and electronics. You're usually with other people. Uh, it was made by Otis. Uh, it's a mode of transportation. It's 
Uh, yeah. So th- the fact that this movie is even being made is kind of mind-boggling. And apparently there's there's some like conspiratorial backstory like it's it's mm-hmm. a it's a money making scheme of some sort. It's kind of like the producers, except in real life. At least that's what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, real which is ball yeah scenario. Uve ball scenario where you just you use the tax loopholes and you make money on colossal failures. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't make this in like Warren, Michigan, or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it, and it's not going to make money. I can't. I can't say like I mean except for the fact that it looks like it was made on like uh like a half a million dollars at most. Mm-hmm. Um so it's going to like, you know, have such a small margin to cover. Sure, sure. I I think the other thing is too is they would have made money if they would have shifted the release window to say a couple of weeks before 9/11 instead of a couple of days. Because I, I've seen all these like doom and gloom uh, articles this week about, oh my god, the summer box office is down 16%, and this mm-hmm. week is the worst week ever because all we have is the stupid Ryan Reynolds is an assassin movie that no one remembered existed. That's, that's about that it. Nobody knew, nobody, everybody thought that was like a fake movie because it's like the bodyguard mm-hmm. poster redone. Yeah. Yeah. And and I remember like I, when I saw it, I was just like, "What? There's a Ryan Reynolds movie out right now?" And then I remember, "Oh yeah, I think I saw a trailer for that like six months Sam ago." Sam Jackson. Sam Jackson. Uh, but yeah, it probably would have been like a top five box office movie just because there's nothing else playing. But as it stands mm-hmm. right now, I think uh, it the clown is gonna uh, demolish it quite handedly. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. Mm-hmm. I don't even know what Assassin's Bodyguard is. I saw it on the list. I just thought it was. I assumed it was Hit like a Man. Dwayne. I thought it was a Dwayne Johnson vehicle. The Hitman's Bodyguard. Um, so, nine eleven. Nine eleven. The uh, very pointedly titled uh, Charlie Sheen vehicle, mm-hmm. um, which is quite the uh, motley crew of washed-up actors, including Gina Gershon, Bruce Davison of. Uh, Oh, uh, what was that? Harry and the Hendersons? Was he in that? <laughs> That's uh, a classic. Uh, That's John Lithgow. <laughs> oh, so, <laughs> it's a little different. You and know. Uh, Louise Guzman, as you mentioned. But um, what about motherfucking Whoopi? Well, well, yeah, sure. But she's on she's on daytime TV. That's true. She's the big star. Um, she's the real star, honestly, if you think about it. Yeah. That's true. Um, but it's directed by a, a guy named Martin Guigui. <laughs> Something like that, Gigi, um, Geely, who who looks from his IMDb photo like um, Neil Hamburger playing a piano, and uh, <clears throat> I, I was I was kind of I looked at his credits just to see like what he was what he was doing. I want to go s- slowly through his credits starting in 1999. Okay, my ex my ex girlfriend's wedding reception. Uh, uh, I haven't heard of it. Changing hearts. Nope. Swing, cattle call. Cattle call is that? What the fuck is that? Is it about like? I don't know. Oh, it's a National Lampoon's movie, of course. Uh, oh, of, of course. Benny Bliss and the Disciples of Greatness. Mm. Uh, and then there's like this uh, series of three movies that have been announced, and <laughs> a bunch of stuff that are like in weird production stages. Uh, he seems like a. Some sort of, I, I like a fake name. I don't know, like that they just use to say that somebody directed it. 
Yeah, it doesn't seem like a real person to me. No. Now I, I kind of want to see what this my ex-girlfriend's wedding reception is, because it's spelled with the letter X. I know. <laughs> is there like a mutant? or? <laughs> <laughs> it could be. Yeah. Yeah, right. It looks quite low budget. Dom DeLuise. What do you know? I mean, I, I think I think you're under last you're, credit. <laughs> <laughs> this this whole thing is insane. So when you're making a movie about nine eleven, which mm-hmm. for let's you know for all intents and purposes is a pretty serious topic, and clearly we're we're handling it with that level of. He's uh, also from importance. Argentina. I should mention. Why, why do you get the guy? who directed National Lampoon's Cattle Call as, as your guy. Also, let me... <coughs> I'm sorry, I'm dying here. So National Lampoon's Cattle Call was written and directed by Martin Jwee <laughs> I kind of assume this is not how you that, No, that's definitely how you say his name. Now, based on what we know and our, and our, our perception here that he is possibly a fake person or fake mm-hmm. director... Let me read you what National Lampoon's Cattle Call synopsis is. A guy starts a fake casting agency in hopes that he will meet his soulmate. (laughs) So is he really just pretending to be a director to get laid? (coughs) Oh, he's dying. Look at him. I mean, (laughs) he could maybe try like a trip to the barber or something. That might help. But uh, not this cattle call. I wonder if he designed the cover. It's pretty. uh, (laughs) That's pretty awful. I, I'm convinced they don't actually change the cover of National Lampoon movies. Like they, yeah. <laughs> they just they just put a different color on the background and, and put the new title, but it's always a static. Uh, it coeds butt in your face with yeah, underwear. and then some guys going like, "Whoa, that's a butt!" It's just like every yeah. uh, you know every American Pie sequel that went straight to video. American Pie Band Camp. I bet that's just like a saxophone and an ass or something. Right. That sounds about right. Yeah. And Eugene Levy's face, like, between her legs, like, hey! Oh, no! Look out! <laughs> <laughs> this ass gets best in show! <laughs> Is that what Thank it you. says on the panties as opposed to lights, camera, action? Yeah, I think so. Pretty sure. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> All right. All right, well, boys. I, so, I, 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 I highly I, doubt. Do we think this movie is going to come anywhere close to any of us? Like maybe Milwaukee? I don't know. Maybe it'll probably go to like suburban Milwaukee, right? I, I'm. I don't know. If I, I had know, to guess, it go like the faith-based bump. It, it may <laughs> is it faith-based. It was made by the guy who made Cattle Call. <laughs> I don't think it's faith-based, but it's definitely playing to that same audience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I mean, was the Passion the same, of the Christ uh, really faith-based? <laughs> it comes down to it, but there, you know. I mean, if God's not dead two plays here, then maybe this will play here. You never know. I think we're yeah. we're going to get it. The AMC theater here plays some weird shit. That's what I think. Yeah, yeah. Like we get they get indie movies, they get all the Jesus movies, and uh, also at all times they have at least one or two Bollywood movies playing, which is kind of weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So I, I think I think we are going to get it. But there's a bigger question that has been on my mind, and that is this. Has there ever been, I mean, you know, we've had 16 years, has there been a good, or at, le- at the very least serviceable, 9-11 movie? Because Lord knows there's been about what, a dozen at least at this point. Uh, I mean, or maybe maybe a little bit less than a dozen, maybe nine, maybe 11 of them, I'm not sure. But I, I really, 
I don't think there's ever been an even remotely decent one. And then this also kind of speaks to a bigger problem that American filmmakers seem to have, where we're really not good with dealing with our own tragedies particularly well. So I was mm-hmm. thinking about Pearl Harbor, and you know, is is there a good American-made Pearl Harbor movie? Absolutely fucking not. Like, what's what's the definitive Pearl Harbor Harbor movie? Torah, Torah, Torah. And I don't even or think the titular. I, yeah, and that's not an American filmmaker, if I'm not mistaken. I got to put on my dad cap here and remember who directed it. Yeah, that's uh, a real like Sandy Pebbles or whatever. Yeah, type film. Mm. <clears throat> um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, and I mean, once Michael Bay made that that movie, uh, I think that pretty much sacked that as a topic for a while yeah unless like unless like terrence malick is gonna come out and like do this really weird existential pearl harbor mm-hmm. movie I, don't, I highly doubt he's interested in doing something that huge again i but, would argue too that i think that if you're between the age of like 25 and 35 at this point uh you're strongest memories of the you know even the idea of pearl harbor is man that's a shitty michael bay movie like michael bay has fucked up history he has single-handedly like fucked up history i think the only thing anyone remembers is the fucking like uh, that even be, might be armageddon it's all put together in my mind it is it's the same thing yeah i'm like isn't it have animal crackers or something? sexy animal like crackers what movie was that yeah in? i don't that's know movie is it it's armageddon <laughs> you know why which one's you know got radio in it I I I remember uh that that's distinctly being Armageddon because in 8th grade we tried to to get our uh science teacher who is this like extremely puritanical just like really huge square like fresh out of college even and uh we tried we we asked to watch Armageddon and we ended up watching it and he um he fast forwarded through the animal crackers scene why is that such a notorious scene? Like I don't I don't remember it at all. I just remember that they're like sitting under a tree and uh Ben Affleck has the animal crackers and then and then it's something sex does he like stick it in her ass? Like what can you do that's particularly <laughs> sexy about animal crackers? I think it's all midriff based, which is yeah, it is. decidedly not risque at it's all. Very he's he's very rubbing tame. so he's rubbing cookies on a woman's midriff. He's just like walking the animals across her midriff. Oh yeah. Jesus! And that's so, that's supposed so, yeah. to be sexual. It's a weird. Yeah, uh, that's, have that's I been doing this thing wrong? Like remember a movie? I, I need to learn the the true art of seduction. Uh, <laughs> so we moved past nine eleven already. I mean, we haven't even figured out yeah. who in the elevator is secretly the devil. Oh yeah, that's right. I forgot about that part. Well, I mean, here's here's. <laughs> So we're, yeah, have we moved past nine eleven. This we, is a big question. It's a big uh, question. Uh, have we moved past nine eleven? The movie directed by Mister Dweejwee. Uh, no, we have Whoopi not. Goldberg just takes off her rubber mask to reveal Osama bin Laden. I think because <laughs> we know that, <laughs> like evil Ethan Hunt. <laughs> oh my god, we we know that John was nine eleven. That's what I was. <laughs> <laughs> so this this is a 9-11 movie that's that's starring a 9-11 truther charlie sheen is a truther so in the end i'm guessing because there's that scene in the trailer where like charlie sheen is reaching up to get out of the elevator and someone's reaching for him but he can't quite reach him so my prediction 
is the movie ends when Dick Cheney pops in from the side, from the corner, and like the, the camera's shooting down in the elevator, and right when Charlie Sheen's about to grab the rescuer's hand, Cheney tackles him and says, No! And then, he, and then he lights off another bomb, and then the tower comes down. Well, it makes sense. Yeah. And then he's got like a remote control for the missile that's going to hit the Pentagon. That's right. That's right. Uh, you know, and, and, and people, people always wonder, well, how, how do we know that 9-11 was, was a hoax? And, and we always say here at Optimism Vaccine, maybe you've heard of a little movie called Loose Change, buddy. Uh, and the other thing that we say is never forget that uh, Cheney flew the planey. Yeah, a fun fact that was that was uh, my original pitch for the site's uh, title. Yeah, CheneyFlewThePlaney.com. That is that is optimism was, vaccine trivia. Put that on the Wikipedia page. I swear to God, Adam Iros's <laughs> original pitch for optimism <laughs> vaccine was let's call it Cheney flew the planey. I was lobbying more for uh, two and a half planes. Mm. Oh wait, no, two and a half towers two works half either towers. way. Yeah, it works either way. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I don't even know if this movie is going to be watchable in the sense that it'll be like campy or fun because, well, one, serious subject matter, and two, it seems like the bulk of the film takes place with a handful of actors who I don't particularly like and who I don't no. think are particularly talented trapped in an elevator engaging in discussions. And I, I, don't, I don't really... Like, what, what are yeah. we going to learn? Charlie Sheen is racist, and Louise Guzman illuminates some things for him. Like, is that is that what's going to happen in this movie? Is that what it's going to try and be? Or I think it's going to be like uh, watchable to the extent that that Nicolas Cage Left Behind movie was watchable. Okay, well, and that all that I mean, Nicolas Cage flies a plane in that movie, so that part is good. You see, Cagey flies the plane. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Nicolas Cage and. People trapped in things. This movie actually looks really reminiscent of the the old movie I went back and watched for this, which is Oliver Stone's uh, World Trade Center, which is essentially just uh, Nick Cage and Michael Pena like trapped under a, a bunch of rubble for two hours. And Nicolas Cage and, has you know, a mustache, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's not exactly compelling stuff. And and again, it, I guess if you're wondering if Charlie Sheen's going to bring some sort of a transgressive note to it, uh, <laughs> one could have said the same about Oliver Stone. Obviously, he's yeah. a prime candidate to be a uh, Alex Jones lunatic. But outside of a brief like character mentioning something about a missile hitting the Pentagon, that was really the only uh, even note of, of transgression at all. There was no subversion in the thing. It was just a very treacly... Which is weird. Film. Which is weird because he has sort of like breaded his, or buttered his bread uh, career-wise doing things that are very like leftist and subversive or sort of like tackling sort of those harder questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, not being afraid to go into those... Uh, areas of history or whatever that that you know whether it's like nixon or in platoon um or was that early one um where james woods was a journalist uh war journalist anyway like that's kind of what he was known for for a while jfk too like just sort of like taking on these big huge national questions and 
here it's just like I, I I haven't seen it since it came out. I went to the theater to see it, but all I remember is like these super lame flashbacks to Nicolas Cage, like with his family. Who's his wife? Like Maria Bello or something? Yep, yep, Maria. <laughs> and he's just like they're just doing the most like fun. It, it's like they're in a commercial for like Home Depot or something. Yeah, it's one of like the flatter movies. It just looks like it belongs on like the Hallmark Channel or something. Down to the like tinkly piano score and everything about it is just kind of like super saccharine and ah man it has no teeth it's just a really limp film uh that feels i i guess when you try to be respectful of an event like this to an extent that is it, it almost supersedes the realism i i guess i have not seen united 93 but i assume they tried to go in more of that direction with with that film, but this felt so disingenuous that it it rather than feeling like something that would honor the survivors, it, it almost felt kind of insulting in a way, and it, it felt very much like, hey, here's a movie that'll get your ass in the seat because nine eleven and people yeah, right. <clears throat> I guess I guess they want to relive that five years later. <laughs> of course. I, I... I saw United 93 back when it like first came to video, and uh, I wasn't a Greengrass fan then as much as I am now. But um, it's fine. Like it's it's more humanistic and and a bit more like it, it's more interesting just because he has a more interesting view of humanity. But it's mm-hmm. still sort of like. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't consider it like a useful movie. I wouldn't consider it like an important movie, like at all. Well, and with United ninety three, I think one of the things that stands out with that movie is at least he was smart enough because he knew the, the you know subject matter that he was dealing with, and it came out in like two thousand six, which is only five years later. There's no. There's no recognizable actors in United ninety three. It's just a bunch of nobodies, right? which is fine and probably works to the movie's favor. Whereas a lot of these other 9-11 movies, they seem to be using not only recognizable actors, but actors that normally elicit laughs from me. Like what I think of Charlie Sheen, like I can't take Charlie Sheen seriously. Nicolas Cage with a mustache, I cannot take seriously at all. Adam Sandler is in a 9-11 movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. I can talk about that for a while. Yeah. So why don't you talk about Rain Over Me, which I, that's something. Holy cow. Um, yeah. So <clears throat> Rain Over Me was one of the movies I watched for this, and uh, I had I had never seen it before. I was always very aware of it and always sort of like considered it. Yeah, I, I always figured it was it was going to be terrible just by the way it looked like this sort of brooding Adam Sandler like doing important work now in cinema. And it's worse than what I imagined it was. Not only is it over two hours, um Adam Sandler's performance is really weird and, and awful. Um it's basically him acting like this like petulant spoiled brat for like two hours for the the whole movie and it's also uh it 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 poses the question or maybe just straight out posits the the idea that um indirectly that loss and family trauma cause autism apparently like that's what adam sandler's character is doing like 
95% of his performance is him having autism, even though he's like a former dentist or something. I mean, this isn't, this is, <laughs> this is subtextual, but yeah, um, it, it's, it's ridiculous. Like the, like loss doesn't explain what he's doing. And he's also coming in and out of this, like this weird, um, state to make stupid jokes or like, repeatedly called Don Cheadle a faggot like for laughs like uh it's really bizarre and also he's obsessed with like uh this other patient's breasts and like his therapist breasts like it's really weird amalgamation of like Billy Madison and 9-11 victim but for some reason I, I, this it, it's not really playing into that like it's it's for some like it it feels so unfit for this movie and and the people that like it i don't think they like it because he sort of like walks this tightrope between you know r-rated comedy and being a victim like the movie doesn't seem interested in that whatsoever but adam sandler is just sort of like like uh let loose to sort of do whatever he wants for this like deep character and it's not like he like this is after this is well after punch drunk love it's not like he Mm -hmm. it's not like being dramatic is like new to him or anything but um it 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 just seems like a movie made by someone who doesn't know anything about grief and got it confused with autism but the only thing they know about autism they parse from like christian movies where you know how they they have like this oddball child in a family that's always mentally handicapped like that's the level of understanding that this movie has about grief um and also it has don Cheadle like uh he's he's sort of the real protagonist and um he's completely wasted here but uh he has this weird subplot about this female patient of his wanting to go down on him and then he refuses and she accuses him of sexual harassment it's very uh disclosure type territory but th- then she still wants to see him as a doctor and it goes nowhere it's it's just like what are you what are you doing it's it, it's very hard to describe and i went back and and read some reviews and it 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 seemed to be taken as very normal at the time um but it doesn't feel like that at all it's also not fun at all um it's just like one of those movies where i couldn't like i watched another movie for this and it's not good at all but at least like i I, it was it was like passive viewing but this was just like like uh, it was it was bad it was it was eye repellent (laughs) sean i've got a question for you Mm-hmm. Did you lose any family members in 9-11? I did. Um, I didn't want to bring this up before or ever to you guys. I wanted to break it on this podcast. But, uh, yeah, um, his name was Michael Pena. Okay, so I, I was going to say you might not be qualified to, to damn Adam Sandler's portrayal uh, of mental illness in a post-9-11 world. But, uh, is Adam Sandler either A, mentally ill, or B, did he lose people in, nine, in the 9-11 attacks? So he's, he's um, uh, well, yeah. diegetically, he's not mentally ill, uh, oh. unless you consider, like, trauma mental illness. Okay. But, um, no, he's not mentally ill, and... Uh, um, he has lost, I think he lost like his children and his wife or something. 
uh, he kind of like it kind of gets all those details out at once. Um, but yeah, it's that that's that's what happened. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not like you know when a movie is like emotionally exploring something, and I know mm-hmm. you're just like provoking me, but um, <laughs> it's it's no. never. It, 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 it it doesn't make sense. It's like imperceptible. So like, um, you know, obviously, yeah, I haven't like dealt with somebody lost. But um, what you hope to get from these movies, as someone who is removed from the scenario that it's playing on mm. or portraying, is uh, an emotional truth uh, that you can learn from and gain empathy from. And this is imperceptible. Yeah. See that. I I re- particularly despise this genre of nine eleven films. I suppose because it's very it's serious. A, well, what? No, I prefer the zany comedies about nine eleven. No, but I'll get to one that's slightly different. But anyway, go ahead. Sure, I'm just saying that it's ancillary. It has nothing to really mm, do mm-hmm, with the plot. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's a yeah. movie about a man dealing with a personal tragedy and how effective that is or is not. It really has nothing to do with nine 11. It's just like, we're going to use this really visible tragedy to try and fool people into empathizing with a character because we weren't creative enough in our writing to actually make them feel that way. But you know, nine 11, where were you? Well, listen like boys with a, with a handicap. <laughs> I don't know if you know, but Rain Over Me was written and directed by uh, Mike Binder or Binder. I'm not how, I'm not sure how he pronounces it. Now you might know old so Mike Binder's as, full of mics. Binder's full of mics. You might know him as the director of Blank Man, which is probably why <laughs> you notice that uh, this movie is so well directed. And you'll be happy to know. That since Rain Over Me, the only feature-length film that uh, he seems to have directed is something called... Uh, so, Rain Over Me is 2007. In 2014, he did a movie called Black or White, which he also wrote and directed. It oh, stars... No, not, no, not that. that. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Kevin wait. Costner. Yeah, Kevin Costner. It's it's the Kevin Costner race relations movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, we watched it at Cuff's house. Yeah, wait, wait, you watched this at my house? Where was yeah, I? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think you were asleep. <laughs> I was asleep and you watched a Kevin Costner race relation movie without me? One yes. of the many Kevin Costner race relation films. Well, this it, one is a this one, genre at this point. It must be great because it's all Kevin Costner race relation films. <laughs> it got <sighs> it got critically panned. Uh, but but my favorite thing is the IMDB trivia page says that Kevin Costner was so moved by the screenplay. Uh, that he personally financed the entire movie because he wanted to spread the message of the film to as many people as humanly possible. Well, I would just yeah, describe the, the I would describe the message of the film as problematic. <laughs> <laughs> Same goes with McFarlane USA Jesus. and Hidden Figures. Anyway. Yeah, uh, I, now I'm curious as to uh, how similar Adam Sandler's Rain Over Me autism portrayal is to Damon Wayans' Blank Man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm guessing you're going to see a lot you. of similarities. Blank Man, which is a movie that I loved growing up, um, best costume, best Halloween costume I've ever seen was somebody at Bell's years ago at a Halloween costume party. Someone just dressed up in Blank Man, just nailed it. I will say he does that movie does seem to feature quite the autistic protagonist. 
That's true. Yeah, Blank Man. That's probably the best superhero movie of the nineties. So good. Uh yeah, I'm 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 reading some more about uh, this this Kevin Costner movie. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm a little upset. We'll, we'll have to do like a Kevin Costner cast at oh, some. Oh God! Point. Why? Why uh, is yeah? yeah. <laughs> just as an aside, I think it's important to note that Kevin Costner's career is is mesmerizing to me. It's just like he yeah, is in so many love. weird, shitty movies that are so fucking schmaltzy. I, I don't I don't understand it at all. Yeah. Oh Jesus! So he's Sean's dad. Uh, Rain Over Me, apparently, I, I mean, I don't, I don't remember it that well. Uh, I guess it, it doesn't do a particularly good job of balancing, uh, comedy with drama and sort of shoehorns in the 9-11 thing. I don't know it's trying to be funny. Like, I, I, it's very, <laughs> it's like just said, so it's, tonally it's, inept. It's like, or, or, or it's just like, uh, well, this is what Adam Sandler did. I'm not going to say no, so he just kept it in or something. Like, I don't know. It's some parts are supposed to be chummy between him and Cheadle, but like, <laughs> it's it doesn't seem willing to go where Sandler is going some of the times, or at least maybe that's just like viewing it from. It, I mean, it's only ten years old, but like the fast and looseness with which they use the word faggot seems alarming to me. Yeah, that that seems like, yeah, even 10 years ago, I don't, Jesus. And the fact that they just throw it out all willy-nilly without any reason at all, that's yeah, that's kind of odd. And there's just other stuff like that. Like like I said, there's also like the reverse like sexual harassment thing is weird. Anyway. Yeah. You know, in the post 9-11 world, things got a little upside down. <laughs> is that your big takeaway from all this uh yep, yep would you say everything wasn't so black or white mm. Mm. <laughs> i think maybe you guys would do well to never forget that mm. i won't <laughs> i won't uh which is something uh robert pattinson would not like he would like you to remember me thank you for that that was that was beautiful all right. So what? What else? What are we missing here from our nine eleven roll call? Me. Okay, talk talk to me about remember me because I don't I remember just, a damn thing about it. I don't even know what the hell it is. So. Yeah, what okay. is it? It's got our pats uh, in it. Yeah, it's our pats. Um, it was a two thousand ten movie, so it's a little bit after these ones that we've been talking about. Um, <clears throat> uh, so it's it's had a bit more time to reflect on uh 9-11 mm-hmm. so this um, one's gonna really have something to say about the event right yeah yeah uh it will uh let me get there so uh i will say I, this is one of those movies where um i remember when it came out um i mean it, it, it didn't come out to a lot of fanfare but i remember like hearing from like uh my roommate at the time being like yeah i saw it it, it was whatever and then like told me the end and uh then that that like sort of spoiler came out and it was pretty much public knowledge for for like the majority of the time that this movie's been around um just because it's a, it's not really a movie that people have taken seriously um <clears throat> anyway it's about our pats and uh uh this ac- actress i'm not sure i think her, I can't remember her name. Uh, anyway, I, she, I have never seen her in anything else, but um, it's about this meet cute that happens between them because our Robert Pattinson gets 
beat up by a cop, even though he's the he's like helping them get the bad guys in this New York street party fight or whatever. This is like New York street fight that he gets like pulled into. And then the cops are like, Oh, he's the good guy. And then like, he's like trying to help the cops. And for some reason, one of the cops played by Chris Cooper punches him in the face and he gets like, you know, arrested overnight. And Chris Cooper, uh, ends up being like the dad of this girl that he goes to school with. And Robert Pattinson has this awful roommate. Like it, it's, it's like the, um, w- whatever the, the reverse of a platonic ideal of the roommate trope is, this is what this guy is. Like it, it's like the worst tropes boiled down into this one guy who's like this, stupid like hacky sex soul patch um just like sexually predatory pizza eating you know beer shotgunning like dweeb basically is his um so adam is his roommate and so does he have a man cave uh, yeah. he 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 probably does now do you, do you um, think he reserves no. saturday explicitly for the boys <laughs> Uh, anyway, so the, he like dares him. He was part of this whole like street fight thing. He dares him like to hit on. He dares our pats to uh, go and hit on Chris Cooper's daughter. I don't know why. Like it's a very thin uh, logic line. It doesn't really make any sense. It's not like ooh gotcha. Like your dad beat me up. Like that's not that's not a thing. Um, but anyway, he does so, and then they start a relationship, and it's very much just like paint by numbers, like um, you know, young uh, college-aged romance story, ups and downs, and but Robert Pattinson is like this extremely navel-gazing, like cargo short-wearing, super fake deep, like damaged, you know, a, a freshman year short story type of hero. Like it's that. It, it's that bad. Like uh, he's just always looking down, and he has these like cool like clothes that are sort of like not expensive, but not too bad looking. And I, I don't know. It, it's just it's really stuck in 2010, probably. But anyway, <clears throat> very navel gazing hero. And so it's, as it turned out, he's always looking down at the rubble of the towers. No, no, I'll get there. And oh. uh, the the girl the girl comes in and comes to be like basically what I describe as manic pixie trauma victim. Um, her dad, her her mom got like shot on the subway or something like that. That's like the first thing we see. And uh, they the movie like loves to treat her as like this sad person who's had this dark stuff happen to her in the past. But uh, then one night when Chris Cooper, her dad beats her like hits her in the face it's just like it's tantamount to like her being grounded basically which is a weird stance to take um but she's quirky because she likes to order dessert before the main course when she goes out on a date with our pets um jesus which her logic is like you know i don't want to die eating the main course and not get to the dessert it's like the stupidest like i said it's like short it's like freshman year short story stuff like all of this um Anyway, um, it, 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 these 
also his roommate, I should say, uh, our pet's roommate is trying to sell, like he's basically trying to do this startup called Slut, and it's like an overnight bag for women, like with all of the stuff, and S-L-U-T what? is like an uh, anagram. Anyway. If this uh, is marketed towards women? I think maybe he should yeah. workshop the name a little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, you'd think. A, a good way uh, for me, if, if I'm interested in a movie, and and I want to know like maybe things that are related to it or what kind of people dig this movie. I always look at the people who like this also liked page on IMDb, and this one is uh, a real humdinger. Uh, we've got <laughs> people who like this also liked Dear John. Uh, yeah, Dear John, <laughs> Water for Elephants, A Walk to Remember, The Vow, and P.S. I Love You. Which is like a greatest hits of uh, romantic movies from the last decade that make me want to like movies. boil my skull in fucking acid. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's so there's some really funny things. So it's like these these idiots, our pets and his roommate, who don't seem to actually care about anyone but themselves, have like an like an Amnesty International poster. And like in their place, and you could see it because it's like it plays a major part of its shot where like uh, our pats and the manic pe- manic pixie trauma victim are like approaching, and then they and then they start having sex to a cigarose song. Oh God! Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like no, just God. just the Icelandic yodeling, just like. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like twenty minutes later, another uh amnesty international poster shows up while they're going at it again it's it's i i it's like it's their aphrodisiac or something i don't oh, know God. um but anyway she finds out eventually like long story short about this whole quote unquote scam slash setup between him and his dad like i it's i still don't understand why this is necessary like why couldn't they just meet and because they go to class together anyway uh it, and it goes on from there, and uh, it, it, I mean, it's it's bad enough that when Arpats goes to see American Pie, he can't even enjoy it because he's just so broken up, which is just a tragedy in itself. That's the real tragedy uh, that this movie's about. But um, uh, but for real, it's not actually about nine eleven. Like Myros was saying, like the like that context, like retroactively, doesn't really add any component of sadness or or anything. Like it's just super like schlock and and cheap. Um, so. All you know is that he has like daddy issues. Pierce Brosnan plays his dad, and he's like this super wealthy like guy who has a a, a sweet office like up in a skyscraper. Uh, you can probably guess one of them. And uh, he, he um, at the end of the movie, our Pats is like in his dad's office, and he's sort of like made amends or whatever, and he's just like looking out the window. And uh, it's this like slow zoom out, and you find out he's in one of the two towers. My God! <laughs> but the zoom out is the like it's one of it's it's hysterical. It's like super funny, just like the way that it just trivializes this you know terrible tragic story, and and it basically boils down this this like senseless loss to be about like our pats is this martyr, you know, and, and like about it just makes it into this extremely prosaic part of life and i don't know it's by making it about 9-11 like 
uh, it, it has this stupid like it tries to graft on importance kind of like what Miles was saying too you know like mm. it tries to graft importance on just by making about 9-11 more than like it actually being about processing it um that loss in like an emotional way or, or like an, an honest way but Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's. It, it, I will say though, it's more watchable than Rain Over Me. But um, I would just is, like that, is that your it. back of the DVD quote? More watchable than Rain <laughs> no, Over Me. Back of the DVD quote would be like, "Stop it at the ten minute mark." Like that's that's like right where the zoom out. Good for ten minutes. Then, then it's just no, no, ten minutes left. Sorry. Oh. Um, because that's when the zoom out happens, and it's it, it's just like it just needs to be about this this love story i mean even then it's terrible but maybe that's the way maybe that's why some of these movies graft importance like i wouldn't be what we we wouldn't be talking about this movie right now if it didn't do that like i wouldn't mm-hmm. have watched it um it wouldn't you know it's sort of like uh automatically gets filed into like this these movies about 9-11 even though it's not really about that at all yeah jesus so did did any of you guys actually watch something good at all when you were doing your homework, you're not eleven uh, yeah. homework. Yeah, we did, didn't we, Myros? I did. I I don't know about you. We both we both watched something that was well. Uh, we watched the same thing, but I don't. I think maybe your opinion <laughs> is higher than mine. <laughs> all right. Well, well, we were we were having a conversation about uh, whether this phenomenon extended into uh, like the very special episode realm, or if television had kind of abandoned that sort of storytelling by the time 9-11 occurred. And, so what, uh, did you guys watch the Everybody Loves Raymond 9-11 special or what? Pretty well, close. Whoa, <laughs> according to Jim? <laughs> the most... <laughs> oh, <the>, man. <laughs> the most exciting uh, possibility I could find on the internet was uh, was a little show called Becker. Mm, uh, tell me more. Doctor. Becker. Well, uh, Ted Danson plays a doctor in New York City. He's he's a real grump. <laughs> he's there's a great uh, gang of characters at this diner that's adjacent to his office. Mm-hmm. Uh yes. If you look at the the IMDb page for Becker, the the top rated episode is is a little episode called Subway Story. Is it really? <laughs> it is absolutely. God. Oh, that's fun. So, did you you watch an episode of Becker? Yeah, oh, we watched apparently the highest rated one. Oh god, like the very best episode of Becker. <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, it was an episode of Becker. There were lots of jokes. <laughs> Becker is the ultimate like background white noise. Like Entertainment Tonight isn't on yet, so I guess here's Becker. If you're some forty year old housewife in two thousand one. Yeah, it was really yeah. awkward to me because it was basically just like it a. It wasn't a very special episode, really. It was just a regular no. fucking episode of Becker with, like, the secretary deleted some files off the computer and was like, oh, no, what am I going to do when Becker finds out? And, and the, the black guy plays, like, the punching bag of jokes, but everyone's like, ah, I'm racist, but not really, so it's cool, right? <laughs> yeah. And then uh, he has, like, Becker's supposed to meet a, a friend of his for dinner. And the friend has a really bitchy wife. And it's hilarious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and everyone's just like, boy, she's a real bitch. What a bitch. Bitchy, bitch, bitch. And uh, yeah, 
it, Becker, he, he's late for dinner because he's helping some old woman on the subway because she gets lost. And Classic so, Becker. Yeah, and like the last minute of the episode, uh, Becker helps her find her way to the subway, uh, you know, cracking wise all the way. And then she just tells some sad story about her son being killed in the Twin Towers. And Becker holds her hand, and then it cuts to, like, the, the shitty sitcom jammed at exit. It's like... <laughs> Before that, there's, like, this uh, there's this shot that, that uh, I guess it predates, but it, it, it was very reminiscent of the shot in Lost in Translation after the karaoke scene. Oh, God. Where they're sitting in the, sitting in the hallway, and, you know, the head is on the shoulder. Oh, Jesus. Uh, which, uh, yeah, really... Uh, taught me a lot about uh, Sofia Coppola's influences. This sounds it's like a- another another shoehorn job here. I don't think this was supposed to be a nine eleven episode. Uh, no, I think it was written as a nine eleven episode. I think it was just it, probably it could have been something else. But yeah, God. yeah, I feel like they probably were just like, oh, we got to get something about nine eleven, but we don't we don't want to like court any controversy whatsoever. So we're just going to make mean, a Becker. I, I feel like that's like, that's the whole strategy behind Becker. Like Becker to me was always like, oh man, we want to capitalize on the success of Frasier, but we can't just make Frasier again. Guess we'll make Becker. Isn't that isn't that the same I, yeah, audience? I mean, yeah, I, I I always liked uh, Becker and revisiting just this episode, even though it's not good. Like it's very passing entertainment. You real it's, it's uh, like, Ted Danson, Mark? Like, yeah, yeah. He he's like he he sells it all, but um, it's very passive entertainment. It's not uh, assaulting to the senses or anything like that. At least not without the the that like smarmy wormy guy uh, who wasn't in this episode. Um, but I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, it's just like tacked on, which I kind of appreciate more because it isn't like a very special episode. It's not like they hijacked the, the show's, um, you know, tone for an entire episode to say something that everyone agrees with. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think, uh, it, I mean, the, it doesn't work for me at all as a, a comedy vehicle outside no, of... No, no. I mean, Ted Danson is fine. He's just basically like a standard grump who's like reading punchlines from the Sunday funnies. And he's, he has like enough gravitas to pull it off. But the rest of the format is a real fucking mess. Like every time it cuts to the workplace stuff, it's just like, what in God's name? It's like Shawnee Smith, who is who's best known to me as like Jigsaw's apprentice in the Saw <laughs> sequels, is it's just She's like a, an embarrassing comedic actress. It's like, what in the fuck is this delivery? Do you think that um, I, I I agree with you, but uh, part of me was like, it, it's so bad that is this her shtick to like just go extremely deadpan like. It's like it's like the Brisson thing, like where Robert Brisson like would get actors to to emote nothing and just sort of move around, and that's like her comedic acting philosophy is she's just there as like this cipher of emotions. I think I yeah I don't think she's that incapable. I just think she I think that was like just the way the character was supposed to be. It's just like you're a dummy. Just have a flash. She good in Saw or whatever. Things. I, she's fine. No one is good. I know. In no Saw. one's good in Saw. What do you? <laughs> she's not like embarrassing though. She's just fine. 
She's okay. better than Princess Bride guy. That's yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's getting pretty deep on uh, yeah. Getting pretty deep on Becker. We we should probably save some material for our uh, uh, big Becker deep cast. dive. The Beck <laughs> yeah. cast. That's the one hundredth <laughs> episode. We're just gonna have the Beck cast. Oh yeah, God. You know, the other movie I watched for this, uh, I unfortunately ran out of time, but I, I did get a good chunk in, and my eyes are open, man. Oh, that was watching me loose change, loose change the ah! final cut. <laughs> you watched the final cut. Of, what's the final cut of loose change? Have they? Are there multiple cuts? Oh yeah. Is it? Wait, wait, wait. Is it? Is this like? Are they going to release like yeah, an eight an disc like thing? suitcase of of? Uh... Loose change DVDs now? Is this like a Wikipedia like article where it's just always updated or what? Uh, I think it, it was for quite some time, yeah. I, I it think it's a real Blade Runner situation. That's that's the only thing that makes sense here. Well, mm. no, no, no. You would give them too much credit by uh, thinking that they were to like re-edit the film. I'm pretty sure they just like used the same film but then tack more shit onto it. Oh, okay. I, maybe Or maybe they work from the George Lucas philosophy that a film's never done. Uh, Loose Change definitely subscribes to that school of thought, although apparently now it's done since... We've got ourselves the final cut, but so what? What was the what was like the loosest or the changiest thing that you learned from watching Loose Change, <laughs> or oh, the dot orgiest thing? Yeah, I was kind of intrigued by uh, that whole steel beam business. Uh, jet fuel, yeah, jet fuel doesn't melt it, man. It just, it just are you a truther? Doesn't burn. It's not hot enough, man. Is there, is there like a bunch of dumb fucks on Reddit like dumping jet fuel on steel beams, and that's how they prove it, or like what? How do they? How do they know these things? I'm sure this, they do. They do like sure Ken Burns effect of Reddit comments. So, I'm sure they've simulated the uh, structural integrity post an impact of a speeding jet. Uh, that's easy enough to simulate in your basement. But yeah, that makes sense. Uh, but you know <laughs> the, the pattern of the building; it shouldn't have fallen. Down because that that's not how it falls in a, in a gravitational demolition or something of that nature. I don't know. But, Man, you learned a uh, lot. You know. Yeah, what I've learned is that uh, they're all crooks, man. They've got the wool over your eyes. You better tune in to loose change. Wake did, up, did sheeple. Any, did anybody else see um, N11? Because I went to the theater to see that movie for some stupid reason. I believe I did as well. Wait, loose change? No, Fahrenheit 9/11. Fahrenheit 9/11. Yeah, I think I saw it in the theater too. I don't know why. God, what a time! What a time! What a stupid time to go see a stupid Michael Moore documentary in the theater. I think it's because it probably came out when I was living in Royal Oak, and the main art theater probably just played it because Michael Moore's from Michigan, and the main it was art a theater huge only had line out the theater where I saw. It. I saw it at Jesus. the MCG actually here in Lansing, and uh, yeah, there was like a huge line to see it. So. Michael I'm Moore like mad at myself the, for doing the, that. the funny thing about Michael Moore movies is, you know, sometimes they have good points and sometimes his his heart and his head are in the right place and uh, you know, sometimes he, he also up he's pretty ass. funny. <laughs> yeah, but but the other problem is is Michael Moore documentaries are rarely about the subject that he says they're about. They're always about one man. Michael exactly. Moore. <laughs> it's like, look at me. Hey. Like a, he also has like this like bullied complex. It feels like. Well, I mean, look at the guy. Tell me you don't want to bully him. Sure. <laughs> well, maybe he puts a proper clothes on. Fucking asshole. Yeah. I <laughs> I went to see it, but I didn't go to see it because I like Michael Moore movies. I went to see it because Just... I like to get angry sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but that wasn't yeah. even a very like angering movie. It was just a 
pointless, fluffy, stupid movie that was just like, look how stupid George Bush is. It's like, right, well, what, yeah. what the hell's the point? What yeah. does this matter? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah but we did test and like chase him out of his driveway or something. Night nine eleven, they all blend together. I can't so believe you watched Loose Change, NRA man. <laughs> I still can't that get past funny. that. All right. Well, I, I have one last task for you two gentlemen. While you were watching movies and doing important work for the podcast, um, I was listening to Toby Keith's Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue on a loop because I feel that you know that's probably the best use of my time, personally. So... What I would like you guys to do is... So that just happened to coincide with the fact that we're doing a 9-11 cast? Yeah, I was just kind of into it, you know? Uh, I, was, I was in a Toby Keith mood. I was thinking about how, how close we are to the 9-11 anniversary. Uh, I was thinking about how much I love the troops. And, you know... Off. You're kind of... Uh... <laughs> You're kind of flipping and flopping all over town. You're Sorry. Sorry. No, I, I turned on Toby Keith in the background. This. <laughs> I, so anyways, I, I was thinking about how much I love the troops, and and I just happened to be listening to the song. And then, of course, our, our serendipitously, our, our conversation led to a 9-11 movie discussion. So what I'd like you guys to do is, Myros, I know you're intimately familiar with this. Could you, could you sing a couple of your favorite bars from Toby Keith's Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue? I honestly, the only thing I know in the song is I'll put a boot in your ass because it's the American way. I I I know the song. You you don't remember anything else? Can you can you can you try and can you no. try and and come up with something maybe that that Toby Keith would sing? If you were Toby Keith, what are some lyrics that you would come up with for courtesy of the red, white, and blue? Uh, for courtesy of the red, white, and blue, mm-hmm. I would probably, probably uh, there, there's probably a few words that. He was probably edited out. Yeah, I know. For the sake of copyright, like for the sake of airplay. <laughs> That's true. Does it does it mention towel heads? Um, I, I think it does. Probably at least four times. So that makes sense. <laughs> I, not the final cut, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, not, that's oh, wait, not the final cut. Speaking of the final cut, there there are, by the way, five <laughs> versions of uh, Loose Change, uh, wow. including one released after the final cut called. Loose change nine eleven colon an American coup. Oh, I thought it was going to be called the final or cut. Also, just I, I the reason I looked this up is because I want to know what in the fuck loose change is meant to mean. And too I, loose, too change. I still can't figure out. You don't know what, what the loose changes. What What's the title mean? Yeah, what is that about? Uh, well, you know, sometimes things don't add up because there's a little bit of <laughs> loose change. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's sad. That's probably exactly correct. Really? <laughs> oh, God, I hope not. Oh. All right, Sean, what's your favorite line from Toby Keith's Courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue? I know you have a lot. Uh, something, it's something about, um, I, I think it's like uh, Saturdays are for good boys and drinking solo cups uh, in America. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, that's, that's a pretty good line, the, the part about the good boys on Saturday. Oh Jesus! All right. Either you guys have anything else you want to say about uh, nine backslash one one, or any of the films? I'll keep my eyes there for, uh, for Toby Keith for the movie. I, I, I'm you know we're gonna have to do some kind of recap of of this of the film when it comes out. We got two weeks, baby. It's coming. 
Giant. You know, for more info about the film, just go ahead and dial well, 911 <laughs> on your cellular phone. Yeah, exactly. Wait, wait, I do have I do have a question, a serious question. Do you guys think like as we are approaching like the 20th year or the 25th year, do you think that there will be some <clears throat> like I, I I feel like there will be any excuse to turn out content that, you know, has a round number attached to it? Um do you think that like more projects will come out that are more legitimate than this Charlie Sheen thing? Um, I don't, it, it, it's hard to say. I think Charlie Sheen's going to poison the well like, for a few years at least. I have a guess that, uh, it's going to be the swan song of one Clint Eastwood. Mm. Yeah. Or, I I, it just seems like there's already been far too many. Like you don't see Oklahoma city bombing films, something of that nature. Sure. Like yeah, this might be true. it. It's, it's, it's Maybe it'll old. be like a Ken Burns documentary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like people, I could see doing it. Eastwood's swan song that would make sense. Um, I maybe Spielberg would do it. Uh, I, I don't know or something. Nine Eleven, a Spike Lee joint. That doesn't sound right. I'm not. I mean, sure. he did make the Twenty Fifth Hour. I did want to mention that. That's not exactly a Nine Eleven movie, but it's it's uh, about a movie about people in New York after nine eleven and mm-hmm. that in in probably the best way a film has. Yeah. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, I think as far as movies go that are explicitly about nine eleven, I don't know if there is an active American filmmaker that could make something compelling or valuable like culturally that that has anything to say yeah, what is there to say yeah yeah because i mean it even, would have to be tertiary like characters yeah yeah even even if you like clint eastwood or ron howard who are very straightforward filmmakers like you you get exactly what's on screen like there's there's not a lot of depth to their films and, and you can argue mm-hmm. that their you know their craft in certain cases is is nice but there's there's usually not larger discussions going on and I think that's that's the best you can really hope for is whatever the fucking letters from Iwo Jima equivalent is for a nine eleven. Uh, yeah, movie. and I, I think maybe maybe like the Galactic Brain version answer is that like every movie, like every fifth is a nine eleven movie. Every like fifth superhero movie is a nine eleven movie. Yeah, it's just sort of like veiled over. I, I the, think you know Sheen. Yeah, most most of the Marvel Cinematic Universe ends with nine eleven. So I mean that that that's what they do. They just they demolish cities. So yeah, I guess I guess that that would be the Galactic Brain answer. Uh, or actually, that's the one step below Galactic Brain answer. And the Galactic Brain answer is actually Harmony Corinne. So waiting for oh, his no. <laughs> yeah. Trash Humpers two colon. It's nine eleven now. Makes sense. Spring right, Breakers. Probably watch a Harmony Corinne nine eleven movie. As would I. As would I. From the director <laughs> I of Kids. Know. I can't find an answer to this loose change question. Wait, apparently, wait what about, what about apparently Cloverfield? Is this not a nine eleven movie? Well, no. I mean, no. That's again that goes back to your monster movies post two thousand one or Galactic Brain. Yeah. No, it's what the Cloverfield's hell does Cloverfield like Cloverfield. Let to do with nine eleven. Monsters. It's monsters. It on list is like a nine eleven movie, but I th- I thought the same thing that Cuff said is it's just sort of like uh, it's something that is subtextual. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. 
So All right, boys. Loose Change was originally a fictional film. <laughs> Are you still on the Loose? I'm going to have a Loose Change documentary about your obsession with Loose Change. I'm just trying to figure out why it's called that. So maybe yeah. the, the the theory is that the original fictional screenplay was, was a film entitled Loose Change. And then when he decided to pursue the conspiracy, he kept the name. Most people would say the documentary is a fictional film. Well, it, it th- those people just haven't seen the light. God. <laughs> Maybe they only saw the first cut. Uh, yeah, they, I, they, they need to watch the final cut or the finaler cut, as it were. All right, Myros. So if you're not a teacher still, Cuff, you could be showing this in class. I know. If only. I Actually, if I was still a teacher, I would probably only show Loose Change and the animal cracker scene from Armageddon. And zoo. And oh, yeah, and zoo. Well, of course, zoo, my favorite documentary of all time, and uh, cornerstone of any modern American education, zoo. <laughs> I say you just go right to the source and just play the Mr. Hands video. You're right. I should. No. no. <laughs> okay. All right. We've jumped the shark. <laughs> and on that note, uh, yeah, if, if you know why Loose Change is called Loose Change, uh, shoot us an email, optimismvaccine at gmail.com. Or you can tweet at us at Optimism Vaccine, or you can tweet at us individually. I'm at Steve Cuff. That's at Steve C U F F. Sean, where can people find you on Twitter.com? Uh, at Mr. Glennis. Great. Myros, people aren't going to find, find you on Twitter because you don't use the fucking thing. So I guess. That's true, but maybe they should. Uh, pa- I'll, you'll have to pass along that loose change answer for me. I will. Uh, just DM me your loose change answer and I'll, I'll write Myros a letter because he lives in the middle of the country on a fucking farm. So uh, he barely has the internet. It's sad. All right, gentlemen, thank you for joining me today. Uh, we've almost hit 50, so that's, that's an exciting milestone. Five years. 50 episodes. It's coming up. But before I leave you, make sure if you're still listening, if you've put up with almost 90 minutes of loose change conversation, I need you to go on iTunes and I need you to rate and review the podcast. Give us five stars. Do a written review. Why would you do such a thing? Because it helps our visibility and visibility means more people can discover us. And the more people that discover us, uh, the sooner we can conquer the world and uh, release our own 9-11 conspiracy YouTube videos. Uh, Myros has got his own cut of Loose Change at six hours long. <laughs> Looser change. Just the loose, no, the loosest change. That's what it's called. <laughs> mm. uh, this change is loose and yeah, goosey. Watch out. When, once we uh, get a Patreon going, they can fund uh, us buying a second domain for Cheney Flew the Planet. Yeah, uh, yeah, please, please. Once we start our Patreon, give us money so we can register ChaneyFlewThePlanet.com. Yeah, that'll uh, be that'll be an early stretch goal. Yeah, early stretch goal. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna host all of our uh, our loose change re-edits on there. It, it's gonna be good stuff. Good stuff. Alex we'll Jones will be a guest commentator on the podcast. Yeah, who Wait, needs? Aren't we doing putovers? Oh yeah, what are you gonna put over? The truth. <laughs> the truth. <laughs> No, the troops. I think the truth. I was like, are you still on loose channel? The troops do. I'm gonna, I'm Thanks gonna for putting on the, do, you have, do you have any special put troops you want to give a shout out to, Myros? Uh, I don't know any. <laughs> just, just the... I'm going to put over three colors, Cuff. The red, the white, and the blue. Oh, I love that. I love that. Not None of, none of that Polish art film stuff. The real American stuff. I like that. Oh, uh, yeah. <clears throat> Yes, you're correct. I I just got your that was that was good. It went over my head for a second. 
Well, uh, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna go ahead and put over Donald J. Trump. I think uh, he's he's clearly doing a great job. He loves America. He was wearing a hat that said USA earlier, and he he talked to the enough the, for me. He he was talking to the Harvey victims, and you know what he said to the Harvey victims? He said, "Wow." What a tremendous crowd. That's what he said to a bunch of people who have been displaced by a hurricane. So, uh, yeah, putting over uh, DJT tonight, as I'm sure everybody else is that's a listener. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will see you again.